Welcome to Saturday Story Circle, always on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Chapter 35 The Westing Mansion was set high upon a hill with grounds that extended far on every side. Quaint groves of trees, deliberately placed long ago by Terence Westing's forebearers, broke the line of the carefully manicured lawns as they ran up the hill to the house. It was easy to see why Ajay Shah had selected this seat for his coronation of sorts. There was no route toward the main house that his enemy could take under cover. The Red Panda could, and almost certainly would, flit from one stand of trees to the next in a vain attempt to approach unseen, but within each small grove of trees he would find only death. Within each island of cover there were crouched a dozen men, men of wealth, men of privilege, men who would shortly pay their final tribute to their new master, but first they would serve as his soldiers. Ajay Shah smiled at the thought, his fingers playing about his lips as he did so. His exceedingly well-dressed army was composed entirely of weaklings, plump, pampered socialites who stood no chance against the skills for which the Red Panda was known. But Shah's mind was in theirs, their will was his will. Each man that lay concealed around the house would fight as a man possessed, in a frenzied desperation to serve before he faltered or fell. If he who called himself the Red Panda truly wished to stop the ascent of the Ajay Shah, he would be forced to destroy those so-called innocents. Shah would savor that moment still more than he would his enemy's eventual destruction. And beyond the trees, ringing the house on every side, stood the matrons and daughters of the city's finest families, each staring rapt into the middle distance, awaiting a sign, and each holding the cold steel of a machine-gun in her hands. Skillless! but deadly through sheer number, they too would fight until they were destroyed. Only by killing those whom he had sworn to protect could the Red Panda reach Ajay Shah, only by becoming that for which Shah had been cast out all those years ago. Shah shook his head suddenly. He did not choose to think of such things, but since confronting his rival in the Club Macaw, his mind had wandered often to that mountain top long ago. He lit a cigarette and drew upon it heavily, his eyes scanning forth from the front landing on which he stood, waiting for the show to begin. He reached out with his mind and felt the thoughts of every man and woman on the lawns, using their eyes and ears to spot the movement of his foe, and finding nothing. Some of those sheep would not survive to be fleeced, he knew. Those that fell would be unable to sign their wealth over to Shaw in the ceremony that was to follow. But there were so many that the loss of a few scarcely mattered, and Shah still hoped to have his enemy alive to witness his triumph. Shah peered into the darkness impatiently. He let the smoke slowly curl out of his nostrils. If it be not now, yet it would come. The stillness of the night was suddenly broken by a sound which was unfamiliar to Shah, a dull metallic sound like a steel tube struck as one would a percussion instrument, but only once. He spun his head around and reached out with his mind in the direction of the sound, using the senses of his hive of captive minds to seek its source. The sound came again on the far side of the house, then again twice in a single instant, and then again. A host of the strange sounds came within a few moments, and the first cracks of tiny explosions began. Shaw started at first, but the blasts were no more dangerous than were firecrackers. 
Shah peered through the eyes of his slaves, seeking any sign in the darkness for the sources of these strange missiles that now burst all around the house in a tight perimeter. Shah hissed suddenly as he began to understand the reason for this strange assault. A thick white fog was rolling around the house and down the hill on every side. The sound Shaw had heard were the firing of dozens of mortars, each bearing charge after charge filled with gas. Shaw retired quickly inside, pulling the heavy door shut behind him. From beyond this barricade he could still see the entire field of battle through the mines of his thrall. The gas was heavier than air, and it clung close to the ground, rolled away from the house down toward the line of machine-gun-bearing women. Shaw willed them to stand their ground to fire their weapons at the attackers, but most were already struggling against the gas. Some shots rang out, but Shaw knew that they were wild and hopelessly out of range. As the women were overcome by the knockout gas, the collective confusion of their minds began to overwhelm Ajay Shah. He heard the mortars again ringing out on every side and reached out with his mind, trying to find the minds of those responsible for the attacks. He could just begin to sense them, but the clutter and confusion feeding back into his own mind was too much for him. He knew that there were dozens of foes, that even as the second round of gas bombs burst in a ring further from the house, the men who fired the shots were scrambling for vehicles and beginning a wholesale retreat. If Shaw could only focus... The ring of gas was rolling down the hill, away from the mansion. Reinforced by a second wave of shots, the knockout gas hit the men in the trees, and again Ajay Shah, master of the mind, was overwhelmed. His mind was in too many places at once, he could not reach forth to enthrall his attackers. For an instant the swirl of confusion and fear within his mind was too much for him, and he crumpled by the great door, his head in his hands. He breathed deeply and felt a wave of calm wash over him as the men in the trees fell one by one. Shaw summoned his strength and reached forth with his mind, but the men who had fired the gas mortars were gone. Shaw hissed an oath. More of his enemy's agents. He had taken enough knowledge from the minds of his captives in the cellars to know that there were many who served the masked man, but it was clear that none of these men knew enough for Shaw to destroy the network at a stroke. He had therefore chosen a more personal confrontation, but his foe had surprised him. Shaw shouted for his remaining troops, the last of his criminal henchmen he had held in reserve. If the Red Panda was coming through the wall of gas that still clung to the hills outside, it would not do for him to face no greeting of any kind. From around the mansion he heard a dozen sets of boots racing to his position. Shaw rose to his feet as they entered the great foyer with no small amount of commotion. Silence! Shaw thundered, and the shadows seemed to roar forth from his feet to surround the terrified criminals on every side. Our enemy is upon us. Our army of slaves has fallen. Prepare for battle. The place is surrounded by knockout gas, one rat-faced gunzel whimpered. There's no way out of here. I said be quiet, coward, Shaw's voice boomed throughout the empty halls. Now you will bear witness to my true power. I will destroy this red panda. Burn his mind from the inside and leave him as a husk. The men looked at one another fearfully. Ajay Shah had always seemed aloof, superior, even when performing impossible feats of great power. It was what had made his henchmen believe that their master was the man that they had hoped for, the one who could at last rid their city of the man in the mask. To see him raving like just another supervillain inspired no confidence at all. Shaw sensed the trepidation that was in their hearts and composed himself with a deep scowl, 
There was a buzz of consternation from the henchman. He could be anywhere. We gotta get out of here. Shut up! There's still plenty of us to fix him. Quiet. All of you, be quiet. Shaw's voice rang out again, but this time he held his hand aloft in the air, listening. A hush settled over the room instantly. The night was utterly silent. There was almost no wind in the trees, and from the eerie quiet it seemed as if the knockout gas had affected even the crickets. Not a sound could be heard but the breathing of the frightened men. And then suddenly there was something else. A low hum that was not quite a hum, a sustained whisper that rolled in closer and seemed to come from above. "'It's him,' a gunman said. "'Don't be stupid,' said another. "'No, he's right,' a third protested. "'He's got one of those... like a plane. "'That's no airplane. "'Like a plane, but not a plane. "'I don't know what to call it. "'I seen it once. "'It's got wings that work like a propeller, "'but they're on top of the ship.' "'What are you saying?' Shaw hissed. "'It's an airship,' the gangster whimpered. "'It's quiet like you wouldn't believe, but that's what it is.' Shaw looked up at the ceiling and reached out with his mind beyond the building, beyond the rooftop. The man was right. His rival was coming from above, and he was not alone. Shaw began to laugh in spite of himself, and his men regarded one another as if their master had gone mad. "'So,' Shaw said at last, "'upon the precipice of failure,' He hands me the weapon that shall be his undoing. The men looked at one another nervously. You two, come with me, Shaw said to the men who seemed most composed. The rest of you make for the cellars. There he must go to rescue his servants. In the unlikely event that the red panda should get past me, you will finish him off. Oh, yeah, said the rat-faced Gunsel. And where will you be while this happens? A smile pressed its way onto Shaw's cruel, hawk-like features. "'Don't be afraid, little man,' he said condescendingly. "'I am going to kill the man in the mask for you. "'The Red Panda dies tonight.'